Thanks for tapping into some Untapped CAG podcast where we explore different perspectives into sobriety and mental health so that you can take something and implement it into your own life. But we believe there's only one right path to sobriety, and that path is the way that works for you. I'm RJ Zimmerman, and today I'm very excited to have on Angela Sheridan, a fellow This Naked Mind certified coach. We went through our coaching certification together. That's how we met. And we have become friends through that. She's a fellow ADHDer, and she really likes to work with and support people dealing with overwhelm and who are using substances to help to numb that overwhelm. And that's something that as someone else with ADHD uh, happens fairly quickly. So I completely understand it. How are you doing today, Angela? Hey, RJ. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here on your podcast. I'm super excited to talk about this and talk about ADHD because, uh, you know, like yourself, as an adult, I got diagnosed with ADHD, honestly, as I think a lot of people do after my child was diagnosed with it. And it all started to make sense. So, you know, now being way more aware of the challenges around it and um, some of the reasons why I I, I drank actually. Um, I am super um, excited to talk about that in the hope that it helps other people. Um, and that that's why I became a coach also is that I really want to help people uh, with that um, aspect of their life and dealing with the addiction side of things. Um, so yeah, it's great to be here and, um, it's so, it's so great. You were recently on, uh, a zoom call on my community platform that I run and, uh, it real was... quick before you get too far, what is that community <laughs> platform? Oh, it's possible or more. Um, and people, if people want to find us, if you're looking for an alcohol-free community to be a part of, it's positiveforamore.com, and there's like a link there to go to our community. And we we try we do kind of monthly themes. And last month, uh, because this is near and dear to my heart, uh, we decided on neurodiversity and uh, also mental health awareness. Um, and so I myself did a couple of talks over the month on that. I did one on neurodiversity just to raise awareness, but also we really got to that, the conversation that came out of it was really beautiful, uh, because it came to be people talking about how they dealt with it in their own life. And some of our members have ADHD and other types of neurodivergence, um, but also people have people in their lives that they love who are neurodivergent. Uh, so it really resonated with them. And it, it really came to a conversation around empathy and understanding the people in your life, as well as yourself having self-compassion around it, you know. And um, later in the month, you came and talked about your journey and your journey to become an alcohol-free and then subsequently how you also uh, addressed your mental health issues and uh, discovered 
also as an adult that you had ADHD and it was so well received. And that's why I know this is such an important conversation and why I'm I'm so stoked to just be here <laughs> and talk about it with you. Um, and even afterwards, we get lots of comments on your talk with us and lots of our members. Um, now, I had put a lot of things also in our resource library uh, podcast. Yours is in there. And, uh, you know, books and things, you know, to support people. And you after your talk, even though I had told people it was there, <laughs> they weren't really aware of it. Uh, but after your talk, they were uh, telling us they had gone in there and they were so appreciative of having all of that and uh even at one of our members was very touched by what you said and it, it really resonated um with her and uh her own experience she could sort of relate back to her own experience of drinking around her ADHD symptoms that sort of numbing part of it of oh yeah shutting out all the noise that you talked mm -hmm. about so, yeah, it, it was so great that you came and, and spoke for us and it was so informative and so helpful to a lot of people. <laughs> I appreciate that. It was, yeah. it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of fun, but it was also like cathartic to me too, because it's not, I don't talk about the beginning of my journey very much because the transformative part of my journey was six years into being alcohol free and yeah. starting my mental health and everything and being diagnosed with ADHD was a massive part of that. And when, what, what you said early on that I want to touch on real quick, or it may be, it's going to be longer than real quick, but when you got diagnosed, because you're also late diagnosed, we call it right. And mm -hmm. really it just means you're an adult when you're diagnosed and right. how it, explained so much of your life to yourself huge can, can you go into like the process because you said it was while your son was being diagnosed and then you uh we talked about it before you saw and you're like I think I might have this too so you decided to yeah. have yourself tested yeah what was it like when you had the realization when your son was being tested that you might have it and then you realized you or you got diagnosed with it and that feeling of, oh, this is how my brain works. It, it was like, it was like the penny dropped, you know, it was like, ah, uh, oh, that's what was wrong. You know, because I, I know a lot of people with ADHD can probably relate to this, but since early childhood, I just felt like I was different. I just, and not different in a special way. <laughs> no. Just not quite always getting the things other people got, you know, a little bit behind the curve, um, always losing things, always forgetting things. I always felt like the kid that had a catastrophe going on somewhere. Um, you know, I couldn't go on a school trip with some disaster happening. I dropped my purse in the water while we were on a boat. You know, then I had no money to spend and, and then you know, we don't always communicate well, so I didn't communicate to adults. So, yeah, I went on a, a, a sleepaway camp when I was eight years old, and I threw up on my pants, and I didn't tell anybody about it, and I, I shoved them in my suitcase, and then they stank at the end of the week, and there's just all these things. It just felt like everything in my life felt like a catastrophe type of thing, and, like, it just felt like trouble followed me everywhere I went, 
Can you relate to that, RJ? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Yes. And you feel like and, you're the cause of the trouble, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so it's damaging. That, right? yes. It's shame. And I just like, I just, and I had this, I had this most wonderful grandmother. If anyone taught me about self-compassion, it was her. And uh, I I feel like this woman was my soulmate. Like we were meant to be together because I, I had a mother who had alcohol use disorder and was zero functioning uh you know for all of my childhood or the majority of my childhood so my grandmother kind of raised me and she was so compassionate and I would come home crying this happened that happened and she was just so calming and so compassionate and it's okay these things happen and I thank God for her every day because she didn't pile on shame to me where I already felt shame. I already felt like it was all my fault, you know? Um, and even, you know, school, you know how this this stuff goes. I mean, I was kind of like, I knew I was a bright kid, but I, I couldn't express that and I couldn't learn in the way other kids would. And I would zone out and miss whole sections of the, you know, the lessons. And um, that was, you know, all my report cards said, I had one that said I had to stop cultivating the dizzy blonde image, like I was doing that in purpose. And I really was not, I I had no clue what they were talking about. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not cultivating anything. I was trying my hardest. And, it, you know, as we all know, we, we do, we try really, really hard. And we just always kind of feel like we're missing the mark, right? Um. And that that's why I think this conversation is so important. I still see it with my son in school. It's it's not set up for people who are neurodivergent. And there's very little accommodations. Uh, I have I have an eye. My my child is really bright. He's in like AP, he's in ninth grade, he's in an AP uh, science class. And uh, but only because he was diagnosed at the age of seven, he's on meds. I have worked super hard with him, got the 504 plan, then the IEP, uh, fought with the school <laughs> frequently about accommodations because they don't want to give them accommodations. Right. And there's still this idea that the kid is not doing the homework because the kid is bad. And that's not the case because I would see my kid working for hours and hours and hours on end and struggling and then being frustrated at the end of the night and still not being done um you know but I still I still have to fight with him to meanwhile he passes the test understands everything obviously he's an honor student um but he almost like has to work I'm gonna say three or four times harder than every other kid every other kid will be done with our homework in an hour and a half maybe and he's still on it at eight or nine at night so it's not that we don't work hard we we work way harder than other people yes. To get the same results um or less results even and the same when i was in nursing school i remember i would i would like ace a test one day and then get like a 60 the next day and i remember when the girls going what happened you know because like i was considered one of the top students and then i would bomb on another day and i'd be like what did happen and, you know, that's that's the other thing with ADHD is that inconsistency that you get. Some days you're great and some days you're yes. not. 
right? Yeah. And so... I think that like the stereotypes that you're talking about, that is still so pervasive where people hear ADHD and they're like, oh, it's a kid who can't sit still. Yeah. And, and that's or an adult <laughs> that can't sit still. Like, that's right. it. Like, uh, that sounds like an excuse. And I love what you're saying where, because I say it similarly, it's not an excuse. It's a reason and it's a map of understanding yourself right? so that you can stop trying to force yourself like around life and you can start to live your life around yourself. And yeah. that's what is so powerful about having that diagnosis. And if you have it as a child and you're raised understanding this, you don't have those highs and lows like you're talking about. You don't have those moments of why am I struggling with this? Why am I working so hard at this? And everybody else is like similar. And I was, I was very lucky with my ADHD with how I went through school, but I did like college was where I had those really highs and lows where I would get to the midpoint of the semester, all A's. Guess what mm -hmm. I did the rest of the semester. I didn't go to class cause I didn't need to, I'm getting A's. And so, <laughs> you know, getting B's and C's at the end, sometimes D's and F's. And it's mm -hmm. like, I, I knew I should have, but the gap between knowing and doing, which is the executive dysfunction. And right. that is something having the understanding of that can help explain things. And then you don't take the shame and put it on yourself. Right. And yeah. It, did you notice when you, got diagnosed with ADHD that you were able to take that shame or the more you learned about it as well, because that's part of it. You get diagnosed oh, yeah. and you think the stereotype, but when you start to learn actually how it manifests, how your brain works, how, how things show up for yourself, that's when you start, did you notice the shame start to dissipate and you're like, like I, you mentioned the grace and compassion earlier, but yeah. that was massive for me. Oh yeah. A hundred percent because we beat ourselves up all the time. You know, it's like, oh. don't like, what, why can't yes. I, get, why, why can't I get my to-do list done? What, you know, you're, and there's the comparison thing, right? You're always mm -hmm. comparing to other people. Uh, how come they can run a business, raise five kids, be on the PTA and run a marathon? <laughs> I can hardly get out of bed on a Saturday morning. You know, it's like <laughs> you're always comparing yourself. And yeah, to, to be able to let that go was great. And at the end of the day, ADHD, it's four letters. And it's somebody somewhere just slapped a name on a, a bunch of um, traits kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, personality traits. And I see it now like there's there are so many positives. I actually love ADHD people. <laughs> I, do I, think, I think they're the best people in the world because they do have a lot of compassion. They tend to be empathetic. We tend to be empathetic. Yeah. Um, certainly getting the diagnosis and looking at it from my own point of view helped me be more empathetic with my son. I think it really had a big impact on his journey also. Um, and and we, we're outside the box thinkers for sure. And uh that's there's so many gifts in it and the hyper focus part of it is a gift also 
and I see it with my son. He he goes down a rabbit hole. He could work for hours and so yeah, he might have missed key pieces of the homework, but he he could then spend hours talking about whatever it was he went down the rabbit hole on. And he's a he's a science buff. He wants to be a scientist. Um, so he you know he's not online like most almost fifteen year olds looking at porn or whatever they do at that age. He's uh, he's on there looking at science stuff he's such a geek but um in a good way I see <laughs> right um in a positive way because he you know and I see that as being and whatever it is it, it could be horticulture or you know whatever your interest is there's this capacity to go really deep on it and and to see things in a way that other people sometimes don't yes. yeah and you know some of our like most famous scientists like Einstein they reckon had um probably had ADHD uh I've had Edison as well they reckon probably had ADHD and he hyper focused like how many light bulbs did he <laughs> right how many failures did he have and kept on going um you know to to actually get the one that worked so I, yeah there's so many pluses and positives and I think that's that's the message to me that's important. It's important for my son that he uh, doesn't grow up with, because a lot of kids, and myself included, they grow up with that shame. They grow up with a sort of self-loathing, um, oh, yeah. always knowing they didn't quite meet their potential. And it's not their fault. It's really not their fault. We're living in a neurotypical world, and um, we are the minority and so things are not set up in a way that you know helps us to learn so it, it's not our fault so I think you know the more we know about this now I mean I'm 50 how old am I 50 <laughs> you know what age I am um you know when I was a kid they barely knew anything I was diagnosed as dyslexic also as a kid uh, but then there was no treatment or no attention given to that. There was I, I didn't get any kind of special education. Uh, they just kind of recognized that I kind of got my words backwards sometimes. And um, that also can be part of the ADHD. You're always, I, I see the word, the sixth word down the line before I see the first word. And I don't know why that happens, but that's how my brain processes, yeah. right? It's, it's like strange. Um, so, but I feel now that there is more awareness, it is getting a little better, but parents still have to fight really hard for their kids to get the services that they need. And even the special education people don't get it because it's not coming from inside their experience. You know, they, they oh, often yeah. are still looking at the kids thinking maybe they're being lazy or they're goofing off or, you know, so it, it's a struggle that it's it's one we're fighting and we're getting there with it for sure but yeah to to speak to your question around that you know what it also did for me getting that diagnosis I went you know once my son was diagnosed at the age of seven and then I read everything there was because my area of hyper focus is being a mother and I'm sure there's a lot of mothers out there who could relate to that and you're you're an awesome father first of all I know <laughs> thank you it's, we can adore those sons of yours and they're so cute you could eat them um <laughs> <laughs> so i know you re relate to that also as a as a parent um but 
yeah. Oh God, I lost my train of thought. So Look that's that. I've, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why the, multiple ADHDers unite because when we're together, we can help each other stay on track, and it's beautiful. You were talking about hyper focusing on learning everything you could about ADHD after yes. your son was diagnosed. Oh, thank God. Uh, yes. So I read every book there was. I read <laughs> I read Distracted, uh, which is a wonderful book by uh, is Ted Hallowell or Ned Hallowell? Hallowell, Dr. Hallowell, who's a psychiatrist who has ADHD himself. And he tells all these stories about the adults that come in his office who were never diagnosed. And I could just see myself in almost every one of those people. I'm like, oh, my God, that's me, you know, and I could look back over my life and I could see how it had all played out as well. Um, but, yeah, that whole hyper focus for me as a mother, that that's an area where I don't miss I don't miss a thing with my son. You know, I don't miss an appointment. I it ever that is like it's like the top priority in my brain so I miss nothing with that that's my area of hyper focus but when it comes to myself like today I came on here and I told you I forgot to send you my bio and my picture yeah and... I said it was like oh I know I told send that two days ago uh, <laughs> I know if it's like, that's what's nice about interacting with other ADHD deers. It's like, I actually had the same thought at probably the same time you did. Oh, I forgot to email her and remind her to send that. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. I emailed you a few days ago. Goes, what do we do with it? Like, we, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. Cause you know what? It all works out in the moment. That's the thing. And I feel like we do remember the stuff that's really, really important. Like the house is on fire stuff. That's the stuff we don't forget. I mean, for me, yes. for anyway, it's like, well, my son, I'm never going to forget a doctor appointment or a dentist appointment or an appointment with his teacher. I, I just don't forget that stuff. That is yep. my hyper focus because it's super, super important in the scale of things. So we, it does. It all works out, right? It does. Uh, and what you said is such a major skill set of just about everybody who's been diagnosed with ADHD is when things get really chaotic, when it's emergency situations, like life slows down and we see step, 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 because we see the goal. And so because we see the goal and everything is like slow, it's like okay. this and then this and then this and then this. And that was such a key for when I was a line tech, because I would go out in outages or there'd be massive storms that go through and mm -hmm. I would be able to just, this is what we're doing. We're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. And I never had that panic switch that sometimes right. you could get when things really got hectic, but that's not even, you know, enough of a word to use to describe how situations can get. So yeah, I, that is something like there's so many strengths with, ADHD. And when you know how ADHD manifests, like you're talking about the hyper-focusing and so much, it's, you get to use that as a map of how you can change things around your life to make it work for you. And yes. that doesn't mean it's all going to be great, but when we look at ADHD and some of the quote unquote weaknesses we might have, if you look at them as 
challenges. Uh Then you give yourself that grace when, oh, I didn't quite meet, like you were talking about, you didn't send that email. We talked before we got on here and this is a great point for it where you know and you try to stay on top of all these tasks because you know that things will slip your mind. So you utilize a calendar with alerts and then alarms for this, things that you know you have to. But even in the 30 seconds to five minutes that it takes, okay, I'm going to do that after I finish this, which is a part of Mm hyper-focusing, you end up overlooking that. And sometimes it slides by. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just... That's the low level stuff I find though, those small things that you you set reminders for, right? And I hear what you're saying about when you work on the the lines and um, you're probably really in the zone when that happens, when it's a really situation. And the same for me, I'm a nurse. And um, when I feel most in my flow is, you know, when patients crash and or, or something, something bad's going on, then I'm like razor sharp in the minute, boom, 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 everything gets done. Um, and my brain is working real, real fast in that moment. I'm like thinking, what could be going on here? You know, this happened, this happened, this happened. You know, could it be this? Could it be this? Could it be this? What, what yes. What's my next move going to be? So it, and a lot, of, a lot of nurses have ADHD. Uh, whether they're diagnosed or not is a different matter. But I do see a lot PAs and doctors as well. Um, and it's that high interest, lots of movement type work. Um, you know, we don't want to be stuck in an office somewhere looking at yep. four walls. For sure, because I my brain would just die in that situation, <laughs> and I, I I wouldn't be able to do any kind of work in those kind of things. That stuff very very hard for me, but my job real good at that. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I've noticed too, like skilled trades construction, mm-hmm. it attracts people, maybe undiagnosed, maybe just having a lot of the tendencies that ADHD has, and it's. That's something that is exactly what you said, where (laughs) it's that interest, always something different on the move. You can do that. That that makes sense. And the um, high adrenaline moment as well is really important. That high adrenaline moment when there is an emergency, we we do we do deal well with those things. I'm pretty good decision maker in those situations for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I like what you said about, you know, you get, you just, it's really looking at it from a positive place of not looking at it as deficits in a sense, but this is just how I work and it's different. And, and I have these strengths and I have these things that I have to have workarounds for. Right. Um, I mean, I I have lots, lots of workarounds all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, I got post-it notes all over and seven yeah. notebooks within my vicinity, each for a different, you know, each for a different yeah. subject that, but it's that organized chaos that we keep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm learning all the time what works as well. That's mm-hmm. another thing. I just learned this week. My, my son just started high school and we had, we have a wonderful ADHD doctor who has ADHD himself. And even after he kind of semi-retired from our practice, he still sees Callum privately. I pay him privately because it's totally worth it. Um, and he, so he talked to him about the homework and what was difficult about it. And uh, so we came up with this thing. And Callum has told me before, 
if he finds it easier if someone's sitting next to him. Oh, body and, doubling. Yes, that's yeah, huge. mirroring. I, I had never yeah. heard of that before. You see, I'm learning all the time. It's it's called mirroring. That's what he, he called it, or body doubling, it could be. And yeah. the doctor said to me, if you sit next to him, so if he's working on his laptop and you sit next to him with your laptop or a notebook or you're paying your bills or whatever, so that you'll kind of look like you're doing the same type of work, it it helps them stay focused. So, um, and I do know when I'm not home because I, I work till 6 p.m. I come home and if I feel like I look at the homework, it looks like he did nothing. Meanwhile, the kid has probably sat there for three hours trying <laughs> to get his brain in gear. Yeah. You know? um, but then I'm like, okay, you know, let's look at it. Where, where are you at? And then it just some... I don't eat, I'm like, do you want me to help you? And he says yes, and I don't even end up giving him any help. It's just like, it just activates him somehow that somebody's sitting next to him. Um, and I might give him one suggestion, and then he's like, no, no, I got it now, I got it. You know, and he's off, yep. off faces after that. But it's amazing how those little tricks can just change everything for people. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And that's, so I learned that, like, University of TikTok has so many amazing content creators around ADHD. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's where I'm at with the podcast too, where it's, I want to just provide things that work for me, like real life examples and things that I've heard that are possible. And then people right. can take that and try it. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I heard about like the body dumbling and the mirroring. So I've started going to coffee shops and cafes in the morning for my work. And I would sit at home and I would do the same thing where I'm like, I just can't, I can't, why can't I do this? And then I go to a coffee shop and in an hour I do five hours worth of work that I would do at home. And it's just because having that movement around, having people around, it just somehow, for some reason keeps me somewhat focused. So now I've incorporated that for building this business and getting things done. And it's, it has helped so much. And then another one is, that I, I heard and it works for me. I'm not a hundred percent sure what it is about it, but keep your shoes on when you get home until you get like the list done that you want to get done. So <laughs> if you keep your shoes on, it like tells our brain, there's still something we have to do. There's still something we have to do. But if you take your shoes off, your brain is like, all right, it's relax time. Let's go, let's go relax. Yeah. And I would do that. I'd come home and take my shoes off. I'd be like, I have so much energy and focus. I'm going to get this done. 10 minutes later, I'm like, I can't do anything. I got to, yeah. I got to take a break, but I keep my shoes on. And all of a sudden it's like three, four hours. I can keep going. The other night I, I worked till 10 PM because I have my shoes on. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. I haven't heard that about keeping your shoes on before, but I did hear shower and dress to your shoes in the morning. First thing. You mm-hmm. like dress all the way to your shoes. Um, like don't lounge around in your pajamas. <laughs> yeah. It's true. When I do that, I'm like, all right, let's get going. <laughs> you know, there's stuff to do. Uh whereas if I sit around in my pajamas and my bare feet, uh, yeah, I'm I'm slow and I'm distracted and I'm I'm I can't focus. And I totally hear you with a coffee shop. When I when I was in school, um, I used to do all my school work in the coffee shop. Um, and I don't, I didn't understand how it worked, but I knew it worked and that was it. That's all I needed to know. Um, 
yeah, it's it's good. All these little tips you can get now on the internet, it's fantastic. And I do like also just giving yourself grace um, that yes. you you know you, you can't do what everyone else can do, and so don't even try. <laughs> in some senses, um, you know, I have lots of things I do. I send my laundry out. Um, you know, I even had someone say, "Oh, you're just lazy," and no, uh, that, no. that gets used against us so much, and it's like yeah, you've never seen lazy. any a harder worker. You just exactly. didn't put us in the environment that we could show you. Yeah, and it it's not. It's just like so. The other thing is visual clutter is not good for mm-hmm. my brain. While it's hard to control it, like to keep it under control, it's not good for me. So, like, to have piles of laundry around would really do a number on my head. So, um, when, like, my husband also, he's undiagnosed ADHD and has no awareness. Uh, (laughs) Well, he has a little awareness, but doesn't want to talk about it, address it, or admit it. Um, But I came home one night, and he had done some laundry, and there was laundry in every room in my house. (laughs) There (laughs) There was laundry in a pile unfolded at the top of the stairs. There was half folded stuff in the living room. It, it was a big disaster. And I said, you, you're you not allowed to do that anymore. You can't, you just can't do the laundry. That's it. Mm-hmm. But I was also struggling. So I started dropping my laundry off and it comes back folded, nice, neat folded. And all I have to do is just put it in the little cubbies. <laughs> it's wonderful and it's totally worth the like 30 $35 I think it ends up costing me most weeks it's worth it it gives me peace of mind it's a one less job I have to think about um and give myself grace around it I there was a time when I was a little bit you know I also have someone who cleans my house I'm very privileged in the sense that but I'm privileged because I work hard. You know, I am a nurse. I work full time as well as being a coach <laughs> and doing all of that. And those are the things that I love to do and I want to spend my focus and attention on. So why not pay someone to do the stuff that's hard for me? And yeah. That, and that's, that's another trait of ADHD <laughs> that you are talking about and is very common is we want to help and be of service to people. Like, yeah because we are highly compassionate and empathetic and we have really, you know, this is most neurodivergent people have a very high sense of justice, like very high sense. And so because we have that, when we experience pain, our first reaction is not to cause that pain back. It's to try to make sure nobody else has to experience that pain. And so you being a nurse, you being a coach, it makes total sense on why those are your passions. And finding that, like (laughs) when you're an ADHD and you find those passions, it is so important to make time every day to be able to uh, experience the passion so that you can keep your energy level through the day. And even if you skip a day, but you do it most days, it still keeps your energy level high, whereas you can get into that low and stay there if you uh, don't necessarily experience that. And I've had experience, you know, with that, where even knowing sometimes routines serve us incredibly well, right? But it's also Mm -hmm. incredibly difficult to maintain a routine. Um, And that's, there's so many contradictions with ADHD, but 
that is something that, you know, people exploring their passion and finding it and their purpose and then just allowing yourself to experience it too is, is so important. Um, we've, this has been an incredible discussion. Like I've, I've loved this. One thing that I do want to kind of relate it to that we talked about at the very beginning, just a real little bit, ADHD and numbing and escapism and substances and self-medication, right? Yeah. When you got diagnosed with ADHD and you mentioned it explained, you know, your alcohol use and Mm -hmm. me too, it explained mine. And I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, maybe I have, but I've said it in when I've talked about ADHD, the first time I got drunk, it was like putting those active noise canceling headphones on and like, it just shut up, everything shut up. And it's like, wait, what, where did everything, this is, this is nice. And so that's what I chased a lot of the time was that critic was just gone. Um, and then same thing when I found the medication that works for me. It was like the active noise canceling headphones, but it wasn't that everything was gone. It was that I went from like a thousand things going through my brain at one time, multiple different directions to like Mm -hmm. 20 things going in the same direction. And so that alone is so huge. So could you talk a little bit about how it, yeah, how it helped you to look at alcohol use? Yeah, I mean, it's totally a journey. It's been a lot, much longer journey for me, RJ. I, I, I started drinking when I was 21 and um, in, in nursing school. And um, what you just said, like, I know that really resonated with one of our members because she remembered the exact same experience of everything quieting. And I'm not sure I understood why it had the impact on me, but my first impact of drinking was massive I and I remember the first time I drank I remember being drunk and um now understanding it from this alcohol free journey that I've been on and looking back on it I I think I probably have sensory issues not probably I do yes uh, a lot of loud noise and things is very difficult for me to manage and handle I don't enjoy those loud party type situations that we're all pushed into as teenagers and young adults. Uh, Like it's the expected thing and how you should spend your time on a Saturday night. Right. Absolutely. I would, and I was also kind of shy. I had definitely had social anxiety. um, But I think a big piece of it was the sensory overload and uh walking i remember walking into a loud bar and everybody's drinking and everybody's behaving a certain way and just feeling so out of it so like awkward and um having that first drink and then keeping on going because of course you have to chase it i understand the science now i didn't know then um but that first drink and that like just it all quiets it does it all quiets all all the tension the anxiety and you literally do just loosen up (laughs) and you're able to interact with everyone else um but something I learned around this because I had to deal with the social anxiety becoming alcohol free um and 
I knew that was going to be something I was going to have to do because everybody in my family, everyone around me drinks. So either I have to see no one <laughs> or I have to deal with alcohol. I have to be in yeah. presence, you know. So I knew just not ever being around. It was never going to be an option for me. I knew I had to learn how to be in those situations. And it was really, really hard in the beginning. But I, I really just gave myself grace. I allowed myself to be who I was was a big deal, which is really hard for you when you're 21 <laughs> because you're yeah. trying to be like all your friends and you want to fit in, you know. But um, I remember my first weekend after I went alcohol free, I was away with my church group and uh, we were at this retreat in this beautiful place. But they have these social events in the evening and my son always avoids those events too he will not go he will go and sit in the hallway or something he just doesn't want to be there either so that's a big uh you know like I'm like yeah that's exactly how I was and so I don't push him I'm just like that's fine you go it's fine mm -hmm. so I kind of sat through it because I was there with my friends and my husband but I really wanted to be over in the other building with the people who were playing chess and uh, just sitting, chatting quietly. That the introverts, you know, you get the introverts and they gravitate to there, and they they are the people who have the really deep conversations and relationships. Honestly, yeah. Uh, the extra, I'm in the room with all the extroverts and they're singing karaoke and they're getting drunk and it, it was tough. But as I sat through it and I didn't stay for the whole night, I've realized now I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I was there for as long as I wanted to be there and left when I didn't want to be there anymore. And um, I, you know, I just like, I, I've come to this place of just giving myself grace around the fact that I am who I am and I don't need to be that. I don't need to be the person singing karaoke. <laughs> um, I don't need to even stay in that situation. I can be there for a short while to see the people I love and want to be with, and then I can leave. Um, and that's okay. And through just sitting with it, I also realized I'm someone who I don't come to the party ready. And that has nothing to do with alcohol. That's just, that's just who I am. And I usually find that once I'm there for a little while, some music comes on that I like, then I loosen up and I relax a little more. And then I find some people I want to talk to and I chat to them and stuff. So it, it was a big, big learning curve for me. And, you know, I know for a long time I was drinking to get through those situations that I really didn't need to be in or stay in. And that's that that's where I was wrong. I thought I needed to be there. Um, and, and I had to drink to be there. And that was, you know, that was it plain and simple. But then my drinking evolved over time because then I only drank on the weekends. And then, but then I always had rules around alcohol because my mother's drinking and that's exhausting too. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't drink at home. I didn't drink alone. I only drank socially, but then you start to make excuses to socialize just to drink. Right. That's how it advances. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> right. And uh, then, you know, later on, um, when I had my son, well, I think I, I had a bad breakup, a uh, 15 year relationship ended. And uh, I, I, I kind of became a daily wine drinker at that point. Just I think I was just numbing my mm -hmm. my pain and not dealing with it. And we know all about that. Right. That's the whole mental yep. health of this. 
um, I was just numbing the pain and the loneliness. It was definitely the lonely piece. And then I met my husband and my drinking changed again. And it went back to social and just drinking on the weekends and just drinking when we went out. And I wasn't lonely anymore, of course. I'm in a relationship and I get married and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm going to the gym, seeing my friends. I'm going to work and I'm living my life. But still, when I drink, I overdrink. You know, I, I can't say I was ever a normal drinker. If there ever, if there is, I think that's the unicorn, right? It doesn't really exist. Right. <laughs> Right. Unless you don't drink at all or have one drink on the holidays, it doesn't really. <laughs> not, now they're saying there's no safe uh, amount to drink, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was um, after I had my son, I had my I was 40 years old when I had my son. I was a later parent. Um, my life just changed like upside down. My husband just started a business. He was not home in the evenings. I didn't have family here. I'm from Scotland. I didn't even mention that. I'm from Scotland originally. I came here when I was 35. Um, and I got married when I was 37 to my husband who I met here. And um, he was he was working a lot. And I was home with the baby every night. And it was just loneliness and stress. And, you know, just it, it was you know, that overwhelm. And I, I think I would just do all the things I needed to do to care for this child. This was my prime thing in life to care for this child and, and to um, take care of him and make sure he was safe and all of that stuff. And then once I got him to bed, I had to drink to, to just like switch it all off. And um, I say I had to, I chose to because I had no other uh, tools in my toolbox. You know, I didn't I didn't know there was anything else I could do. Um, and so I, I became a nightly wine drinker at that point. And um, that just advances. You know, it starts with a couple of glasses and it mm -hmm. ends up being all and it ends up drinking to pass out. And I just felt so terrible and so guilty about that because here I have this little baby and sure I took great care of him all day and now he's in his crib, but God forbid if anything happened to him, you know, or he was sick and I had to take care of him and here I am drinking and I had so much guilt and dissonance around what I was doing, but I like I, I almost felt like I, I couldn't help it and I, I couldn't help myself. And when I was, uh, he was three years old, I, I went to see my doctor and I said, I, I, I feel terrible all the time I feel so sick all the time and so exhausted and uh I said I, I know I'm drinking too much um but I was still functioning I was still taking care of all the stuff right and she sent me to AA and no, no offense to AA it works for a lot of people a lot of people it's very precious to them um but it, it, it wasn't a fit for me it, it didn't feel good but I did stick it out because I, I so wanted to stop drinking for my son. That that was really the bottom line. I wanted to be the best mother I could be for him. Um, and I, I wasn't even thinking about all of the effects that I know that it was having on me. Um, you know, I was depressed. I was anxious. So many bad effects that alcohol has on you, and especially for us ADHDers. Um, and it definitely doesn't help your brain fog. Right. <laughs> or, Tension uh, or your mental clarity it's it's the worst thing for all of that stuff so yeah she sent me to AA and I I did stop drinking I white knuckled it and I stopped drinking and I stopped drinking for four years but I never dealt with the reasons I drank um I I just 
stopped it. I abstained is what I did. And I didn't learn any better coping mechanisms or tools and how to deal with the stresses and overwhelms in my life. And so just continued to be stressed and overwhelmed. Now I have this little child and now I'm finding out he is ADHD and that was overwhelming. Um, and managing all of that and all of his symptoms as well. Um, you know, so when I'm going to say around seven, he was diagnosed, I started drinking again. And that after that four years, um, and there were other things went on in my life at that time, other challenges that I won't necessarily speak about today, but there was just other things. And I started drinking again. Um, but I think I knew I was always going to start drinking again because, you know, I was just waiting to my kid grew up a little bit. I think that's what was in my head, you know, and not really recognizing how bad it was for me. You know, I was making it, it was, I was doing it for someone else and not doing it for me. So, um, fast forward 2021, 2020, I think it was around the end of 2020. Now my drink is pretty bad by this time. Um, and I'd been drinking since 2017 and, you know, when I restarted again, and of course it does advance and you do have a tolerance and you do need more and you do get sicker. (laughs) Um, and I ended up, my LFTs were elevated on one of my doctor visits. I gained a lot of weight. I just, I felt like, can I say shit? (laughs) Yeah, we, we can say whatever here. So. (laughs) I felt like total shit all the yeah. time. And um, so I, I got this little email in my uh, mailbox from Mel Robbins. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Mel. She is mm-hmm. a great too. And uh, it was just a little like very lighthearted. If you want to cut down alcohol this holiday time, here's some great Quitlet books for you. I never even heard of Quitlet. I had never heard of anything but AA. To me, I thought AA was the only way. Yeah. And uh, you know, and it was for a long time. It was a uh, one pony town, right? <laughs> the yeah. alcohol thing. Um. So I got the Quitlet because I'm feeling quite desperate by this time. I'm I'm feeling kind of hopeless. I'm in this trap kind of thing of uh drinking every day and not wanting to drink anymore but not being able to stop and not being sure that I really could at that point and it, it felt kind of hopeless and then I, I read Holly Whitaker's book which was awesome and that really spoke to all the things that felt wrong about AA for me not saying that for anyone else but for me, I could see through that. I was like, yeah, that's why it, it just didn't, that's why it didn't resonate with me as an individual because, you know, it is very male-centric actually and it's not science-based and there is kind of a shame aspect to it, which for someone with ADHD and shame issues, piling yes. more shame on was not a good plan for me. <laughs> And um, so that all like really started to make sense for me. And then I read Annie Grace's book and she, the first thing she kind of says is it's not your fault. And she says, it is your responsibility, but it's not your fault. And that was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I was like, right. Yeah, this isn't, I would never do this to myself. Right. I, I would never consciously uh choose this for myself choose to have gotten here 
And so her message was around grace and giving yourself grace. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that because I'd always come from this place of feeling shame around the drinking. Um, so that message of grace was a whole other thing for me. And that's what really resonated with me. And it, it felt true, whereas the AA stuff didn't feel true to me. Um, it didn't feel true that I was broken, intrinsically broken, that there was something wrong with me and that I had a disease that I would never recover from. They didn't, they never felt true to me or that it was an allergy or all, all of that stuff. None, none of it felt, it didn't make sense intellectually and it didn't feel true. So I was like, no, when I read any stuff, I'm like, yeah, this is something that I can manage. I just need some help around it. I need better tools. <laughs> yeah. Um, better tactics. I needed to start examining the, you know, understanding the science around it, the whole dopamine thing. Um, that it's just human. It's it's human to keep doing something that gives you a dopamine hit. Uh, I started to understand how it was affecting my depression, the lack of joy that I felt, and joy is my favorite emotion, and I hadn't felt it in a long time. And so I started to understand how the alcohol and that whole high level of dopamine taking away your ability to enjoy ordinary things that you once enjoyed. Therefore, you lose your joy. You lose your awe, you lose your wonder. You lose all of that when you're addicted to something. So I, I started to learn that. And over a year, I did like a year long path. And um, it was the best thing I ever did. It was such deep exploratory work that I did. And the alcohol was like on the side somewhere. It was like, yeah, you're going to stop drinking, but it's not about the drink. You know, it's about the emotion. It's about what you feel. Um, and yeah, the, the, there's craving and there's addiction and there is a little willpower. But when you work through your mindset stuff around the alcohol, you don't have to rely on willpower for very long, you know, yeah. and you get those tools and tactics that get, get you through those craving times. And you realize that it's kind of like building a muscle in a sense, you know, you get stronger over time and it's just a very different approach. Very, very different. And I, it, it takes a long time to get your body back in homeostasis, to get your brain back in homeostasis. Um, and it takes mind work. And you know this because I know you you were sober for a long time and, and then you started to do your mental work. So I got sober. And as I got sober, I was doing the mental. I, I call it so I yeah. don't really like that word sober. I'll be honest, because it doesn't feel sober to me. It, it feels joyful to me now. <laughs> Um, so just not drinking and being alcohol free allowed me the clarity mm -hmm. to start doing that work, to start forgiving myself, to start letting go of the shame, um, start working on my own feelings around my ADHD, my mental health, cleaning up my thinking, working on my, my thoughts. It, it just takes you to a whole other place where you don't want to drink anymore. You don't want to drink because you don't need to. <laughs> And that's the honest truth. <laughs> absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, you know, I wrote down a couple things too when you're talking and I'm glad you brought up the sensory sensitivity because I've noticed that, especially this year, now that like I understand what my body's telling me because I've done the work to cultivate this mind body connection. Like I have felt in a, in a restaurant that is busy and it's kind of a lot of tables really close. 
I'll be okay at the start, but very quickly, especially if it they aren't clearing tables really fast, so you're there for a little bit too long, I get really anxious, and I didn't know what it was, and I know I'd felt it before, and then I realized I'm getting overwhelmed by people being really close to me and talking really loud, and I can't talk to the person across from me because it's, I don't, I cannot hear any of the words. Like right. I can, or I should say, listen to them. And I can hear things and I know that they're saying something. There's no process at all. No. And it's important for people to know that too, because it's something that we don't, isn't talked about with neurodiversity right. um, throughout all of it. And so when you can have that understanding and you're like, oh, that's what this is right now. Okay. I need to change something and being able yeah. to give yourself that break is incredible. And when you start to understand yourself and really that's what this conversation has all been about is giving yourself a better understanding of yourself. It is so much easier to have compassion and grace and you see yourself as a human rather than somebody who isn't doing what other people are doing. Yeah. And my goodness, has that changed life? Oh yeah. Yeah. Preach brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's so that's so great because that that was it was that self-compassion piece that really uh, I was able to give up alcohol because the self-compassion because I, I I was drinking at things you know and, and yeah. <laughs> not very compassionate to yourself but that's why I was doing drinking at things drinking to get things done drinking to get through the difficult things you know drinking for all of that stuff so like giving myself compassion and saying it's okay to to not do that right now if you don't want to do it you know I, I work 10 hours right and there is this thing in society where it's like you just have to keep going do you know start your second job when you're done come home cook clean up do laundry blah 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 I just, you know, sleeping more than three hours, you're lazy. Like, yeah, right. (laughs) How it feels. And that's how we get sick, though, because we can't. Yeah. And even people who don't have ADHD can't handle that. You know, they're telling themselves a story about it, but, you know, they're frazzled and drink over drinking, too. It's not only people Mm -hmm. with ADHD that are over drinking. You know, they're they're drinking and punishing themselves to get through it all, too. And it's even, it's our culture. My kid doesn't get a lunch break three days a week. He He's just back-to-back classes. And I'm like, when I was in school, I got two recesses and a lunch break. And I'm like, how is this possible? This How do they think kids can function this way? But everybody just accepts it. This is how it is. And and we're we're living in a world that where people mental illness is at an all time high. People stress and anxiety and sickness. Um and, and we're we're not doing anything about that. It's just like stay on the hamster wheel, work, 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 you know. And so for me with the alcohol free journey, it was so important to me. I was like, no. If I have to leave the dishes in that sink to not have that drink, that's what I'm going to goddamn well do. (laughs) You know, if I have to not cook dinner so that I don't drink, if I have to come home and lay in the sofa and tell everyone to fend for themselves. Yeah. That's what I did. I didn't cook for a few months. I still don't cook dinner on work days 
because I realized I was coming home resentfully, no good for my mental health, cooking, resentful that no one else was helping me. Well, they had just worked all day, but they knew how to take care of themselves. You know, my husband and my son know that they need to rest after they worked all day. And, you know, they would be laying on the sofa and yeah. I would be still working uh, in the house and the home. And now I'm just like, I let things go. Everything doesn't need to be perfect. Um, and I, I give, give myself grace around all that. I told you some of the things I do. I have people clean my house. I have <laughs> I drop off my laundry. Uh, if the dishes are in the sink, I don't let them bother me. I always say if I'm past my point of exhaustion and my I'm getting that brain fog, you know, that place where you can't even think straight. That's yeah. that overwhelmed place. You can't think your way out of it. You can't work your way out of it. And we drank to, to numb it, to, to make it, to, to mm -hmm. make it stop. And that's what, that's what we did in the past. Right. But, um, I won't do that to myself anymore. I do feel too much love and compassion for myself to punish myself that way. So now I'm like, all right, you're feeling this way. You're way below 50%. How are you going to get yourself back there? I'm going to get a snack. I'm going to get some water. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to rest. And I'm just going to forget about all of that because I can deal with that when I have more energy right yeah. and those were things I had to learn because I was pushing myself to try and be this perfect mother and wife and and person uh, you know extraordinaire superwoman superhuman yeah I, and and I couldn't do it and I was it was just torturing myself and torturing myself twice by drinking over it <laughs> right and that's yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's so important I think that's a great message to wrap this one up um, on is, you know, giving that to yourself so that you're not shaming yourself and right. finding it, finding that compassion, finding that grace and just admitting that you don't have to do it all. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. Angela. It's not on fire. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if people want to follow you, if they want to catch up with you, what are some good ways for people to do that? Um, so my website is um, mindshift.org. So it's mind-shift.org. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. I'm in there under Angela Ann Coaching. I'm also on Instagram if you want to follow me on Instagram. Again, I think it's Angela Ann Coaching on Instagram. You can find me in there. And I do have like little videos and tips that I know you also do, RJ. I watch yours incessantly. I love them. Um, yeah, we can't get enough of that positive stuff, right? So, you know, I have some stuff on there people can watch. And I also have a community group that I run with two partners, uh, Lenny and Jamie, as you know. Um, and we are on pausetheporeandmore.com. We're on Mighty Networks. And we're on a really nice community in there where we have weekly calls connection calls because we know connection is the antidote for addiction mm. right <laughs> yes it is yes yeah. it is and we do lots of fun stuff in there too so yeah a few places you can find me <laughs> and those will be in the show notes so go ahead and scroll down and click those links and you can follow Angela and that is something that that community and connection that has come out of our coaching cohort is like um, I knew the power of it, but that power that came from going through the coaching and going through having that community and that, that, 
sharing your lived experiences, sharing not just your challenges, but you know, your triumphs and the positives. And it's just, it is something that can keep you afloat on days where things are really tough because no matter what you do life and tough and sometimes it just is so having those healthy outlets is so important and this conversation is going to help people because normalizing all of this talking about it just having the information that oh that might be me maybe maybe I should give myself grace around that and try this thing you don't have to go out and get diagnosed to take some of this and try it in your life. And that is like, that is what I want people to know too. You don't have to get diagnosed. You don't have to be on medication for this knowledge to help you out. You don't have to identify as an alcoholic or sober or any of that for any of this information to be a benefit to your life and feel that joy and that awe and that wonder that you talked about. And that's powerful. And that's really powerful. And I really appreciate you joining, joining me here today, Angela. This is a great conversation. So thanks for having me. <laughs> you know, this, again, this is untapped keg. Go ahead and go to untappedkeg.com If you'd like to uh, be a guest on the podcast, there's a form that you can fill out there now and, you know, let's connect and have a conversation. And if you're looking for some coaching around self-discovery, trying to find a beginning to the path to start you on the journey of being able to answer the question, who am I? Go to untappedkeg.com and you'll find a link there and set up a conversation because in an hour, you never know, you'll get something that you'll be able to take and put in your life and you'll be able to see a benefit. And that's the same with Angela. Go to Angela's website, uh, you know, and fill that out because in that free hour, you will get something that will benefit your life. That That's all it takes and you'll see it. You'll see the return. So let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today because at least we don't make it. We tried. Have a great week, everybody. I love you. <laughs>